Amen. Good morning. It's so wonderful to see you all here this morning. Thank you for your presence, and we appreciate your, your being with us, and we're so very thankful to have those of you visiting with us this morning, those of you who are online with us. Uh, it's always a blessing to be together, uh, worship together, see, see one another in fellowship, and encourage one another. Last week, we looked at how the younger minister, Timothy, was left in the city of Ephesus by Paul and had to deal with false and unfaithful teachers. And we see that Paul wrote to Timothy to encourage him, to help him, to build him up, to give him some guidance and direction. And today we're going to turn to Titus and see that Titus was in a really similar situation. The situation of the churches in Ephesus that Timothy was at was, was different in many ways than what Titus, the situation he was in. In Ephesus, it was an established church. They had been there a while. And on the island of Crete, where Titus was, these were relatively new congregations. They were very underdeveloped because of their uh, stage, their youthfulness as a congregation throughout, congregations throughout the island. And so but we see, although they had some differences, there are some similarities in the unfaithful teachers or false teachers as we're going to look at today. And so each week we're going to look at uh, the, the teachers, the false teachers, and we're calling them unfaithful teachers for last week and this week. And then next week we'll move to looking at faithful elders. And we'll spend a couple of weeks on uh, elders and what these letters to these two young ministers have to say to us. Titus was also a younger minister. He had worked closely with Paul, just like Timothy had on a number of occasions. And it's interesting, we know more about uh, Timothy than we do Titus. We don't know very much about Titus. We don't know exactly where he came from. Uh, we know he was a Gentile. And there's some conjecture by scholars that he's from this place or that place. But the bottom line is we just don't know for certain where he's from. We don't know exactly where he was when he crossed paths with Paul, and it's believed to be before or on Paul's first missionary journey where Paul taught him the gospel. And probably he came through and taught the gospel in that city where Titus was. Titus obeyed the gospel, and uh, somehow a relationship was developed, this father-son, mentor-mentee relationship, and, and Paul began to develop Titus, uh, teach him about the ministry just like he had done to Timothy. Uh, we know that uh, he was a Gentile, but other than that, there's not a whole lot. But what we do know, all that the Bible says about Titus is positive. So he was really a hardworking, faithful, loyal young minister. And like Timothy, Paul calls Titus his son in the faith in Titus 1.4. So they had that similar kind of relationship. So that tells us that Paul was the one who taught him the gospel, baptized him, and we see that he provided him spiritual training. Uh, the first time we hear, we read Titus's name is in Galatians chapter 2, 1 through 5, and that's where we find Titus named in the middle of this heated issue uh, among uh, uh, unfaithful teachers that Paul is addressing. And this situation is thought by most to be the same situation we see in Acts 14 and 15, where we then see the Jerusalem council. 
Although Titus is not mentioned there in Acts, it's, con- it's generally considered to be the same situation. So being a Gentile Christian, Titus was not circumcised, okay? And that's what was going on. That's what was being recounted by Paul in Galatians 2 and then in Acts 14 and 15 passages that they were dealing with uh, this situation between leading brothers in the church in Jerusalem and the unfaithful teachers or the Judaizers, which we'll talk about, and, and their insistence that all Christians, even Gentiles, become circumcised to be right with God. So when Titus went with Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to meet with them, that's what uh, one of the things Titus was faced with, this heated exchange and debate and pressure. But they wouldn't give in to that because they knew that wasn't required for being right with God, uh, circumcision, or any following of any rule or regulation from the uh, law of Moses. And so who were these people insisting upon this? Well, as I said, they were the, the Judaizers. They were Jewish Christians who were holding on to the law of Moses and in particular circumcision. And they were, they were pressuring, they were insisting that new Christians all were circumcised and followed the law of Moses because they believed, among some other things that they believed, that these works that you did made you righteous before God. So they were hung up on these works. And really what it was was a works-based salvation that they had. And we have to be careful with that today, don't we? We have to make sure that we understand that we're not saved by our works. We're saved to work, but we're not saved by our works. There's nothing we can do uh, uh, to to, to save ourselves. And we'll look at that uh, again later in the lesson. So we can only imagine the kind of pressure and the kind of uh, uh, intense uh, uh, issues that Titus was dealing with as a Gentile Christian, the pressure he was getting from these Judaizers to follow the law of Moses, to be circumcised, even though Titus understood and Paul understood and others understood, this didn't require, Jesus didn't tell us to continue to do this. And so Titus has traveled with Paul and done ministry with Paul for quite a while. We see that Paul uh, considered him a trusted co-laborer, minister. Uh, Paul had him work with the Corinthian church through some difficult situations. When the Corinthians were uh, gathering a collection to send to the poor Jews in Jerusalem, Paul sent Titus to take care of that collection and get it there. And after Titus' time on the island of Crete, Paul sends Titus to Dalmatia, and uh, he references that in his second letter to Timothy. So during what is often called Paul's fourth missionary journey, and there's some discussion about was it, do we categorize it a fourth missionary journey or not, but he clearly went on another journey after his first imprisonment when he got out in AD 63, and he traveled and worked with churches and proclaimed the gospel. So it's during this time, once he got out, he took Titus to the island of Crete to work with those churches there. We don't know how they got established, when they were established, except it seems to be the case that uh, people came from Crete, Jews came from Crete, to the day of Pentecost that we read about in Acts chapter 2. Because in verse 11 of Acts chapter 2, we read that there were Jews from Crete. 
that were there, who were there, and they heard that first gospel message proclaimed by Peter. And so it's likely that they became Christians. They go back home to the island of Crete, and they then teach others the gospel of Jesus Christ, and congregations throughout the island begin. Although they're in their infancy stage, they're not fully developed, they're at least congregations likely meeting in homes of people all across the island. And so it's thought that that's where these Christians came from on the island of Crete. So Paul goes to visit them. He takes Titus with him. Paul isn't there very long, and he, he's off to continue his missionary journey, and he leaves Titus there to address some things that needed to be addressed. So Paul wrote this letter to Titus right after, it's believed, he wrote his letter to Timothy, his first letter, which would put that at around, at, right at about A.D. 64. So he writes to Timothy and then he writes to Titus. And by the time he writes to second, uh, Timothy again the second time, uh, he's, he's already sent Titus on to Dalmatia. So Titus was not even there very long to do the work that he had to do. But he had a lot of work that he had to get done in that short amount of time. So look at Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, and Paul tells us exactly why, why Titus is there on the island of Crete, why he left him there. So look at our next slide in Titus chapter 1 verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, Paul writes to him, for two things, so that you might... Put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. That's why he was left there on the island of Crete. So we'd see two things that he was left there to do. He was left there to, uh, there were some things that needed to be put into order, some things left undone. They were underdeveloped. They needed some development. They needed some things uh, squared away in their congregations. And he said, I left you there. I think the old King James says to set in order the things that are wanting, to put things in order, to work on these issues, not necessarily bad, but things they needed to grow and mature as congregations on the island of Crete. And then secondly, Paul tells Titus, you get around to every congregation on the island and you appoint elders in every town where those congregations are. You appoint elders. Now, turn to look at, uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to go to our text in Titus 1, 10 through 16, where we're looking at unfaithful teachers. Somebody read that and then we'll look at how we got there real quick. Look at verse 10 of Titus chapter 1. For there are many who are insubordinate, Paul writes to Titus, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain and what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Verse 13, this testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences, consciences, consciences are defiled. You say that. <laughs> 
You say that a few times. I can never say that. Verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. These are some tough words Paul is writing to this young minister, for him to be there by himself on this entire island and deal with in congregations all throughout the island, in every congregation. But these verses, it's important to understand, are closely tied to verses 5 through 9. And what are verses 5 through 9 about? We'll get to those in the next couple of weeks, but a sneak peek is to see how they're connected by the first word in verse number 10, and that word is what? For. Do you see that in your Bible? That section 10 through 16 is connected to 5 through 9 by the word for that Paul begins to write in what we have what we call verse 10. So Titus was left in Crete to take care of unfinished business and appoint elders in every town. But in verse 10 is when he tells us uh, why he, these elders were so important. He's telling them in verses 5 through 9, here's what you're looking for in an elder. Here's the kind of character they need to have. Here's, here's the kind of person they are, the kind of Christian that they are. And he describes what to look for in an elder. And so when he gets to verse 10 and he uses the word for, he, he's saying churches need spiritually mature and biblically solid and sound elders. Verse 10, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. So these are the same people he's referenced in verse 9. And in other words, their lives or teachings contradicted sound doctrine, which we brought up last week. These were false unfaithful teachers, and they were coming up in among the congregations throughout the island of Crete. And Paul said, you need to set in order the things that are lacking, and you need to get some solid spiritual men of the word to appoint as elders in all of these congregations throughout the island because churches need solid elders, biblical, spiritually mature elders to protect them from unfaithful and false teachers. That's what elders do. They're, they're shepherds guarding and feeding that flock. So then Paul turns to these unfaithful teachers to talk about them, to describe them, to give Titus these instructions, and that's our text for today. So in verse 10, he calls these unfaithful teachers uh, insubordinate, based on your translation, or rebellious or disobedient. So you see, these rebellious teachers, these unfaithful teachers, they're rebellious, they don't want to submit, they're insubordinate, they, they, they don't want to be under any authority at all. And that's something you can look for in a false teacher and an unfaithful teacher. They don't want to be under anybody. Why? Because they don't want to be accountable to somebody. And so they, they kind of fly solo, maybe in the church. Maybe they don't plant themselves in one place too long or they can't stay anywhere too long because they want the authority. They want to call the shots. They want to teach and preach and say and do what they want. And they don't want anybody telling them what they can and can't do. Uh, so we see that 
Paul is making an emphasis on the importance of solid, sound elders in the Lord's church. And he says these false teachers were empty talkers. They were deceivers. Now, he didn't say they didn't communicate well. He just said what they are saying is of no value to you at all whatsoever. They may sound good. They may sound smart. They sound like they know what they're talking about. They sound convincing. But he's saying what they're saying is wrong. It ain't right. It's not in accordance with sound doctrine. So just because they're a good communicator, just because they're, they're persuasive, just because they use big words, just because they sound smart doesn't make them right. And Paul said this was especially true of the circumcision group. Well, that's who we were talking about a, a minute ago, the Judaizers. They were Christians, but yet they were trying to enforce the law of Moses onto Christians, saying you still have to do all these works and follow all these rules and regulations. And then they even made up many themselves and got into myths and some other things that we'll look at. And you've got to follow all these if you want to be right with God. And so they, they had become Christians, yet they were holding on to the law of Moses. It was this works-based uh, salvation. So look at verse 11. Paul tells, Timothy, Timothy, Paul tells Titus, like he told Timothy, that these unfaithful, false teachers need to be what? Silenced. They need to be silenced. Their mouths, what that means is, need to be closed. They, their mouths need to be shut because they're, they're, they're spreading false doctrine. So again, why was this an urgent issue? Well, it's always an urgent issue, but these were congregations throughout the island that didn't have elders. They had, they had relatively new Christians. And so uh, the people that were there at the day of Pentecost had been there for a short time, and then they come back and they share that message, and that's about all they knew. And so uh, it was very often that churches in these days, they met in people's homes. And so you're dealing with churches all throughout the islands where they're, the island where they're actually in people's homes, where they're gathering together in small numbers. And so when you've got false teachers, false uh, unfaithful teachers coming up with no elders anywhere and, and not, no one really knowing much more than what must I do to be saved and Jesus is the Son of God, and they don't know much more than that, then look how easy that is to, to have false unfaithful teachers come in among them and lead them astray. And he said, you need to silence those false teachers. And so you can also see how when Paul said they were upsetting whole families, you can imagine what that was like for someone to come into your home where, where you're having worship and studying about being a Christian and you're trying to learn and grow and worship God and all that. And then you're hearing this stuff you hadn't heard before and maybe someone uh, uh, starts following that belief and teaching that and how that, uh, that infiltration begins to happen and how upsetting to homes that can be and families and, and the churches throughout the island. And Paul says they're upsetting whole families, whole homes. They've got to be silenced. This was just like in Ephesus where these false teachers, also we see their motivation. They were motivated by what? Greed. 
See, the false teacher, the unfaithful teacher, is motivated by the wrong things. They're motivated by getting a following for themselves, prominence and, and greed to, to gain money, to, 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 to have prominence and popularity and power and authority and influence in people's lives. It was about them, not about God. They were there for their glory and not for the glory of God. And so in verses 12 through 13, Paul quotes one of Crete's old philosophers from about 600 B.C. who harshly described the Cretans because the the people on the island in general historically had not been thought of very well. And that, that philosopher said they're liars, they're evil beasts, they're lazy gluttons. But Paul takes, like he often did, he takes one of their philosopher's statements about all Cretans and he says... I'm saying that is true of these false, unfaithful teachers. He said, this testimony is true, but he's pointing it at the unfaithful teachers. And he says to Titus, rebuke them harshly or sharply. And what that means is to show strong disapproval for what they're saying, what they're teaching. Rebuke them in a way that cuts, is what he's saying, and do this rigorously. So this wasn't nice and gentle. This wasn't, oh, please, if you don't mind, would you consider, would you pray about not teaching that? This was a clear, firm, strong stance against what was being taught. Now, it's also interesting that we see Paul's motivation here. We see his heart. Just like when he wrote to Timothy about dealing with the false teachers there, he writes to Titus. And he wasn't saying, uh, you, you beat them up with the Bible and you send them running and crying with their tail between their legs. He wasn't saying you, you hu- demolish them, you humi- humiliate them and run them out of town. That's not what Paul was saying. He said you silence them for the protection of the Lord's church and then you sh- you're silencing them also. Why? that they may be sound in the faith. See, Paul's motivation was not to get rid of them and cast them out. Paul's motivation was to bring them to repentance because these were Christians. He wanted them restored to a right relationship with God. And he said, so you need to silence their false teaching and hopefully they'll repent and they will be sound in their faith. That was Paul's motivation. And of course, that ought to be ours as well. So look at verse number 14. Some of the other things that we see that they were teaching was Jewish myths, Paul calls them, and man-made commands, or these rules and regulations. And what they would do, it's thought, that without changing scripture, they would take stories from the Old Testament, which is the Bible that they had, and they would elaborate on these stories. And they would kind of make them allegories and they mean these other things and they're symbolic of these things. And you hear people do that with parables a lot of times nowadays. But they would elaborate uh, on these Old Testament stories. And then they would also believe, they would also uh, do this kind of decoding of the Bible. If you remember years ago, the Da Vinci Code and all this Bible code cracking stuff. And if you can just calculate the secret code of the Bible, then you're going to unlock some special knowledge in in Scripture that no one else can see. Well, that's kind of what they were doing. And Paul said, they're they're wrong. Everything they're saying is wrong. Uh, That's not what they're supposed to be teaching. So, 
that's another point that we need to pick up on. Is don't ever let yourself get to the point where you won't listen to the pure, simple word of God straight from the Bible. Don't let yourself ever get caught up with what I heard on this podcast or this author or, or this preacher or this teacher or this friend or, or this social media influencer or what, whoever, whatever. Or my, my granddaddy even always told me this. Whatever. Don't let yourself get so fo- following someone else and what they say to where you believe that that's true over what the Word of God says is true and right. You can understand what the Word of God means. And so we have to make sure that we're listening to the right uh, source because everything that claims to be true cannot be true. All, All claims of truth cannot be equally valid. And Paul is telling Titus, just because they want to say that's true, you can't allow that to be taught in the church because it's not true. So everything so-called truth cannot and is not true. And the elders are there, and we see a big emphasis on the elders in these epistles. The elders are there to help guard and protect the church when it comes to sound doctrine. Look at verses 15 through 16. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds, that's what you think with, and their consciences, that's your moral compass is the way we kind of hear that nowadays, are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their what? Their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Paul's essentially saying that they didn't put their trust in Jesus, that Jesus was not sufficient for them. Jesus wasn't enough for their salvation. And when you get to that point where where for you, Jesus isn't enough, then you're in trouble because you're saying that the Son of God coming and dying on the cross, being buried and resurrected by the power of God and the blood he shed, we just participated in communion. And you're saying that that's not enough for my salvation. And I've got to do these other things. That's what the Judaizers were teaching. That's the false doctrine that Paul told Timothy and Titus to deal with. And so he's telling them that they didn't put their trust in Jesus for righteousness. Instead, they wanted to follow the rules and regulations of man for righteousness. And he's saying that person, their mind, where they think, their conscience, their moral compass... Is defiled, it's broken, it's messed up. Something's wrong because that's not the sound way to think and believe. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So these false teachers allowed their minds and their consciences to become defiled and they got messed up and they could no longer hear the word of God. They wanted to follow the law of Moses. But I want to point us now to Jesus. Because when Jesus came, what did he say? At the Last Supper, what did he tell his disciples at the Last Supper? Luke twenty two twenty. he says, This cup is poured out for you, that is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Do you see the phrase new covenant? He's saying there's something new. And the, the book of Hebrews is all about this. All of, I love the book of Hebrews. So the, go study that and take your time on Hebrews. Hebrews is all about... Jesus is this new covenant, brings the new covenant. It's all new. 
under Jesus. So Jesus was saying to them at the Last Supper that his death, burial, and resurrection ushered in, would bring us into the time of this new covenant where we're no longer following the old law of Moses, the old covenant, where the rules and regulations of the temple and worship and all that and circumcision and all these things the false teachers are teaching... Now we are following the teachings of Jesus only. We're no longer under the old law. You see, Paul wrote about this in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one could boast. You see, these false teachers could boast in their faithfulness to follow all the rules and regulations, right? Well, I I did this rule, I followed this rule, I did this and all that. Look how good and righteous I am because of what I have done before God. And Jesus came and said, nothing you do could ever, ever, ever earn salvation for for yourself. You, You can't save yourself. Nothing you could ever, if you lived a million lives, you couldn't do anything. To save yourself. It's the gift of God by His grace, by His mercy. So uh, salvation is this gift from God. He wrote to tell Titus that to stop the false teachers leading people astray, to follow these rules and regulations of man, and to find their salvation in Christ. Now, you have to be in Christ to get this free gift of salvation. Go back to Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you've been saved, how? Through faith. So you mean I don't have to do anything? I just live my life however I want? That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what Jesus taught. Because it says through faith. So that tells us something about a faith we're supposed to have. And so salvation is in Christ. So how do you receive this gift, this free gift of salvation that's in Christ? How do you get in Christ? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, where Paul writes, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, well, that sounds good. How do I do that? How do I get into Christ? Well, let's, let's sneak over to Titus 3, 5. We're not supposed to go there yet. That's later in the series, so don't tell anybody. But let's sneak over to Titus 3, 5, and we see that Paul wrote... He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his what? Own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So God saves us not because of anything we could do that's good, good works, righteousness, and that's what the false teachers, the unfaithful teachers were pushing on people. And Paul is telling, in his other letters, he addressed this issue with the Judaizers all the time. Galatians is all about that. He's always dealing with this subject because it was such a prominent issue. He's saying salvation is in Christ, but how do you get in Christ? He says he saved us not because of works we've done by our own righteousness, because you ain't got any of that, but according to his own mercy. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Well, what is that? That sounds like some big words. What that's talking about is through baptism. That baptism is the washing of regeneration and renewal. And, it, and, and when you look at baptism and study it through Acts and through the 
uh, other places in the New Testament, you see that the Holy Spirit is always there in baptism. The Holy Spirit is all over the place when it comes to baptism. So look at Romans 6, 3 through 4. Paul writes, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, how? Into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what? Newness of life. A new life in this new covenant in Christ. And that's the gospel message. So it's, it depends on Christ's salvation, his goodness, the mercy of God and not our works. Galatians 3.27, Paul said, For as many of you who were baptized into Christ. So how do I get into Christ? I'm baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. You see, you see that's that, that, that through faith from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And then Paul wrote, if anyone is in Christ, uh, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. So we get in Christ through baptism, and Titus and, and Titus's job was to establish, uh, to 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 set in order the things that were lacking in these congregations, to ordain elders in these congregations. Why? So that they could maintain that sound teaching, that faith in Christ, that He is our salvation, that we depend on Him, not our goodness and not our good works or our righteousness or our good looks, because that would get us in trouble, wouldn't it? There's nothing we can do, but we have to depend on the salvation that is in Christ. We just respond in faith. So is there something i got to do? Yeah, there's something you got to do, but those those works, that doing stuff isn't saving you. You're putting your faith in Him to save you when you obey the things He has asked us to do. And then He, he saves us. He forgives our sins. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We gain salvation, a home in heaven, eternal life with Christ. And that is that sound gospel message that Paul wanted Titus to protect, to preserve on that island of Crete as these Christians grew in their faith and as they continued uh, in, their, in their faith, faithfulness to God. And you can have that same salvation today. Maybe you've not put on Christ in baptism and maybe you hadn't thought too much about it or maybe you have and you realize you're ready. You need to go ahead and get this done. Maybe that's something you need to take care of this morning. Put on Christ in baptism and realize, you know what? I'm, I, I was waiting until I had it all together. I was waiting until I figured it all out. And you need to realize you never will. You've got to depend on Jesus' saving uh, grace that he had for us on the cross. Or maybe you, you just hadn't been faithful and you've been kind of listening to some other things or you just need to be stronger in your faith and you need to ask for prayers because you need to get back on track and you need to be protecting that sound faith in Christ that we see in Scripture and you need to ask for prayers. Maybe you want to start studying with somebody. Whatever your need is, we're here to serve you this morning. Come forward as we stand and sing.